In today's travel-flavoured programme, we learn about an obscure group of microorganisms called parasites, which we hope you'll not catch on your holiday this year. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Our special topic today is parasitology, which you'll guess is the study of parasites. If you thought this was a subject that was done and dusted, just go online. You'll soon see there are more parasitology journals in publication than you find PC magazines at newsagents. So we sent Roger to speak to the editor of one of them. Sally Hurst, who lives in Cambridge for many years, was the editor of a highly regarded international journal called Trends in Parasitology. Some of you, like Sally, will remember that Elsevier, the publishers, used to be based here in Cambridge. It's now time to listen to Sally, and we apologise to our learned listeners because Roger just simply couldn't resist starting their chat with the silliest of questions. I've been dying to ask this question. I heard you knew a lot about parasitology. So, do you believe in ghosts? I think you're thinking about parapsychology instead of parasitology. Parasites, what are they? Well, a parasite is divided academically from the bacteria and the viruses just for ease of action. So the word parasites tends to include the protozoan parasites and, and, the, and the worms, basically, for the endoparasites. And the ectoparasites are the fleas and the bugs and the ticks and things which live on your outside. The parasitic relationship is one where the parasite benefits much more than the host. And parasites often have two or three hosts, and they often have a vector as well, which is part of their life cycle. So they are very complicated beasties. So there are endoparasites and ectoparasites. What, what, give me for instances. Of- well, your endoparasites include malaria, is the, perhaps the best known one now, and you've got schistosomiasis and leishmaniasis and onchocerciasis and all of these also have other names onchocerciasis was featured by blue peter a few years ago because they could get the drugs and it's river called river blindness the disease and they raised the money to get the drugs because you can treat people and prevent it and then the people can get on with their lives and not have to suffer going blind you often see in posters you see a, a older person being led by a younger person and they often used to have a, a stick and the younger person would go along and the older person would hold on to the end of the stick. And this is caused by this river blindness, which is onchocerciasis, and it is preventable. Okay. There's a lot of great names there. And so the ecto, the ecto ones are the outside yeah. bugs? the ecto ones are the ones that live on your body, which generally make people squirm <laughs> a bit. They're the fleas and the, and the, the bed, bed bugs and ticks. Where am I likely to meet them? In the UK, yes. <laughs> yes. If you have a, a dog or a cat, you're, you're going to give it deworming pills, so you're you're getting rid of the parasites there because they're likely to be on the animal. So your domestic pets, and they're also likely to have fleas and ticks. I'm afraid you're also likely to have fleas and bed bugs uh, occasionally. Why do we study this? It sounds such an obscure branch of science. No, it's huge. It causes a major health care burden on the world uh, and as well as that it causes a burden on the people who suffer the parasites a lot of parasites don't kill you they just debilitate you and so you can't uh, get on with your job you if you're a child you can't go to school and get your education so they are a huge influence 
It's very hard to quantify what a parasite does, and they invented the disability adjusted life year wow. so that you can you can see what your life would have been like and then how many life years you've given away because of your parasitism. There's loads of reasons to study it. If you want to go with the most academic one first is that they're very beautiful and they're very interesting and the interactions between the hosts and the parasites are quite fascinating and things like co-evolution which bear looking at and diversity of species. The very practical reason is that it does cause this major healthcare burden which obviously people would like to alleviate especially in developing countries and maybe that's part of the problem because the the problem is the most severe in places where they they live on less than a dollar a day so they can't even afford even if you said you took this 75 cents medicine once a month it will keep you clear of parasites they can't even afford that so you you really are up against it and needing to find ways of funding as well as ways of realising the, the drug that might be the most effective. I mean, I imagine not just humans get affected. Yes, the veterinary parasites as well. Especially in the developing world, if your cow gets nagana, you know, you're, you're in trouble and your entire livelihood has gone because your cow has got a parasite. Would uh, a sore throat count as me having a parasite? Uh, in general, no, because they've, they've done this artificial split between bacteria and viruses. Although sore throat can be a symptom of some of the parasitic diseases. But in general, the, the viruses and the bacteria come under microbiology. And if I were to go on holiday, would that increase my chances of getting it? Oh, yes. Yes. So if you don't want to get schistosomiasis, you don't want to swim in rivers that are infected with the vector snails. And if you don't want to get malaria, you want to put uh, DEET or some insect repellent on or sleep under a mosquito net. And also, we're in the lucky position that we can take prophylactic drugs when we go abroad to try and prevent ourselves from getting malaria. Malaria is one of the most serious parasitic diseases, and it does cause death. Uh, There are four species that infect human, and one of them does kill. When you see the statistics of a child dies every 30 seconds from malaria, this is the Plasmodium falciparum type of malaria. What is malaria? When it first was noticed, they they used the word malaria for bad air, malaria, um, because they thought it was just a day when you went out and breathed it in because they didn't know. And then Ronald Ross discovered about 100 years ago that uh, malaria was transmitted by mosquitoes, and he got the Nobel Prize for that because it was indeed a very difficult discovery to undertake. So I guess technically it should be called plasmodiosis, but people have got used to malaria, so... It remains as such. So it's as simple as being uh, bitten by a mosquito. The mosquito certainly does support a vital part of the malaria life cycle. The mal- it isn't just a flying syringe. Mm-hmm. It isn't that it will go to you who's infected and suck up a malaria parasite and then take it on to the next person who isn't infected and sort of spit it out. Uh, the, the, the parasite does undergo transformation within the mosquito, so... It takes it from its infected meal and then the parasite undergoes this transformation and then it gets delivered into the next uh, uninfected human. In the 1950s, the Americans brought out stamps to celebrate the end of malaria because they'd had a lot of uh, DDT programs and they'd really had a good old session trying to get rid of it and they thought they had succeeded, but I'm afraid they haven't. It's still, I think it's either the second or the third biggest killer in the whole world. So it does deserve a bit of respect and still needs 
you know, we still always seem to be 10 years away from finding a vaccine for malaria or for finding the perfect treatment for malaria. But if you do go camping or you're, you're near shallow water, then you really do need to watch out. Why is the shallow water important? Oh, because the mosquitoes breed in shallow water. They only need a puddle, really. Okay. So they're very uh, efficient. Now, parasitology is a subject that has a whole bunch of incredibly scary names. Yes. <laughs> in general, parasitology has been talked about for ages and people tend to think of it as almost as epidemiology which is sort of you know disease populations and very uh, the macro end I guess of, uh, of science whereas parasitology today can involve the latest genomic technologies which are hopefully going to provide us the way for some of the treatments and prevention measures of the future so you've got the whole the whole range um, they've, they've tended to try to avoid the word parasitology recently and whole departments have changed their names to the Department of Infectious Diseases because it sounds more modern. I, I mean, I came across something called Bill Hartzier. What's mm. that? Well, Bill Hartzier was called Bill Hartzier because it was discovered by a fellow called Bill Hartz, Theodore Bill Hartz. It's actually schistosomiasis and it, it, it is quite prevalent and quite debilitating disease. That's the one that you you don't want to swim in a snail-infected water because the cercaria will invade through your skin. And once the schistosome is inside you, it can stay there for 30 years, especially if it has a, a mate. They mate up for life and can live within a person for a long, long time. So often skin is the, the place that they Yes, in. yes, it's the biggest. I mean, the skin is your biggest organ and it's the biggest uh, target, I guess, in many ways. I mean, some of them you will get by... Uh, the, what they call the faecal oral route, which I won't go into, mm-hmm. <laughs> and others by eating meat that isn't cooked very well or fish that is isn't cooked very well. So there's there's lots of ways that a parasite can invade. One of the arguments against eating raw or not fully cooked meat. What, what do you know about that? Well, you're, if you are in a developing country, you're best to cook your meat very well. I mean, especially things like tania, which is um, a parasite. It, it lives in pigs as well as in beef. There's two. Uh, and you can actually see it in the meat if it's there. You can see little cysts. But sometimes you can't even see it, so you don't know quite what to avoid. But a good way to avoid it is just to make sure the meat is cooked because that'll kill the parasite. Okay, so parasites adapt. Oh yes, they're very, very adaptable. And and they're very clever at hiding. Some parasites will have a reservoir species in which they stay. Mm-hmm. Um, if they, ha- they can't get into their proper host, they'll get into a reservoir host. Um, in this country as well, you, you hear about where pregnant ladies are supposed to not touch cat litter. That's a parasite problem with this uh, Toxicara. The, the cat is its main host, but it can cause damage in the human host as well. So... Sometimes parasites do have more than one host that they're quite happy in and they can cause different damage in different hosts and sometimes some hosts they don't cause any damage at all. Excellent, thank you. So Roger, what's the grossest, or from Sally's perspective, the most beautiful parasite you've ever had? I think for me it would probably be Giardia, um, a really unfun endoparasite I contracted in Costa Rica. Well, Chris, you were unlucky. You've my sympathies. But on the other hand, you did choose my favourite one. It's worth Googling for Giardia, the parasite. 
Under my microscope, it looked like a tribal mask with two eyes. It's not that rare. I'm told it's like the worst case of food poisoning you might have ever had. But right now, it's just after lunch. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Crease. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.